You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in chapter 8. We have come as far as 13, and I want to make it through the rest of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 today. These are the chapters that are on giving, and it is an uncomfortable subject for me to talk to you about, so I'm going to sail through. Uh, I trust that you can read these on your own. It's not an uncomfortable subject for the Lord because he inspired these chapters and put them to the page. And uh, we are a church that has responded well when there's been a need. We are a church, I believe, that's committed to God's word. So we'll go through these things. We'll look at them together and I will leave them with you and your Savior. It says here in verse 13, well, Chapter, verse 12 in chapter 8 is as far as we come, where there Paul is saying, For if there first be a willing mind, and that's what he was looking for. He said, I'm not speaking to you in regards to the law, in regards to giving. In, fact, in verse 5, he said, you gave your own lives to Christ first. That's why you're able to give everything else. And he says, if there's a willing mind, in verse 12, it's accepted according to what a man hath, what you're able to give, not according to what a man does not have, for, attached to that idea, I mean not that other men be eased and that you should be burdened. Paul said, I don't want to see rich people become poor so poor people can be rich. He says, but by any quality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality as it is written. And he goes back to the children of Israel gathering manna in the wilderness in Exodus 16, verses 18 to 20. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Paul is saying, look, I'm not talking about communism here where everybody has to give, you know, let's make the the spread out the wealth. Let's make the rich poor so the poor can be rich. He said, that's not what this is about. Those are governments of this world. Look, communism says what's yours is mine. Capitalism says what's mine is mine. We learn to say this, the first word we say when we're little, mine, because we're all born capitalists. You know, uh, so communism is what's yours is mine. Capitalism is what's mine is mine. Christianity is What's mine is yours. And there is no other system like that in the world. And he's saying here, look, I'm not writing because I want rich people to become poor so poor people can become rich. That's not the idea. He said, but I'm talking about an equality at this time, keros, not chronos. It's not talking about time in general. It's literally at this season, there's something happening. And what was happening is the church in Jerusalem was starving. There was great poverty. And he says, this is, there, there just should be a quality that at a season like this, through your abundance, their want may be met, that maybe in some future season, a specific season, through their abundance, your need may be met. And he says, it's like when the children of Israel gathered manna, which was God giving bread falling from heaven. He said, it says there, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. 
And you read God's instruction there. You know, you gather as much as you want. And it says, he who gathered much, they didn't have anything left over. He who gathered little, it seemed to multiply and supply that there was no lack. Remember what happened if they tried to gather, if they were trying to be lazy, you know, it's give us this day our daily bread. They had to gather manna every day, the way you should be in the word every day. If they went and they gathered, tried to save enough for the next day, it says what was left over stank and bread worms. Just what your wife wanted in the tent. I told you to get up every day and get it fresh. Don't try to stick it in here. You know, so what he's saying here is, look, we're not trying to take advantage of people. So people that have worked hard become impoverished so poor people can be wealthy. That's not what I'm saying. He says, but there should be an equality. There are seasons when people are in genuine need and you who are able to give then are able to supply to them. And who knows someday whether the season may be turned to where you're in need and other people then in their abundance will supply you. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's one family. He says, as is written, he said, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. So what he's saying is here, he's saying, look, gather what you need, share what you can, but don't try to hoard anything. Because if you begin to hoard, it stinks. It breeds worms. As, as, as God's people, we should be able to gather what we need. We should be able to give what we can. But we should never be hoarders. It should never be selfish. So he goes on now in verses 16 to the end of the chapter. And he says, look, this is a sensitive issue. We're talking about taking an offering and getting it to Jerusalem. He's saying here, now I want you to know that there's stewardship, there's accountability. There's, there's, there's men of great character that are going to be involved in this. And that's important. That's important. He said, we want to do this right, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men. Because sometimes you hear Christians say, oh, I don't care what people think. Well, God knows what I'm doing. Well, some circumstances that might be true. But when it comes to money, when it comes to accountability there, it is important, certainly what the Lord thinks, but it is important what men think too, because money is one of those issues where the mouth always goes and people always gripe and complain and they point the finger and I'm not going to, and they're doing this, you know, just, so Paul says, look, we're being wise in, in our administration of all of this. That's how he moves through. He says here in verse 16, he says, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. The same, the idea is the same care Paul is saying to the Corinthians that I have. He's also put that in the heart of Titus for indeed he accepted the exhortation. Paul exhorted him to go back to Corinth to prepare the offering for when he would arrive. He said, but being more forward of his own accord, he went to you. He was actually more than willing, you know. And we have sent with him, now somebody we don't know, the brother whose praise in the, is in the gospel throughout all the churches. So all the churches know who he is, but we don't. Heaven knows who he was. The churches knew because he was a, a man who appreciated evangelism. He was, he was well known in regards to the gospel. Trif, Trifemus, he doesn't tell us. 
And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, this offering, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord. It brings glory to God and the declaration of your ready mind. So he says he was chosen of the churches. The Greek word means to stretch out the hand. What he says is the churches in the area of Macedonia all agreed by a show of hands. This was the man they wanted to be representative of them. They trust him. He's well known through the churches. He is a man who loves the gospel. And he said the churches have desired this man should travel with the offering to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, they trust him. Now, pastors are not chosen by show of hand. Neither are evangelists, apostles, prophets. Those are callings. Those are God's gift. But the church makes decisions about stewardship, accountability. Paul is saying, look, there are people of stalwart character that are involved in this. And all the churches are bearing witness to that. In verse 20, he says, because I want to avoid this, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for honest things, look, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He says, we want to do this correctly so there's no reproach. Uh, We want to do this the right way. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be stewardship. And we're avoiding the opportunity the enemy might have to make something out of this uh, that he shouldn't. Paul is not touching the money. He's not counting the money. He has a team of men there uh, that are moving forward with the stewardship of this whole process. Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, here at the church, I don't count the money. Uh, There's a team of men that do that. I don't know who gives what. I, I see the overview of what we are doing in in ministry, in maintenance of the building and so forth. But I don't know who gives what, and I don't ask. You know, to get to spend 10 bucks here at church, you have to fill out a purchase order. So any check over $500 takes more than one signature. The only time I've ever signed a check is when we moved in, when we were saving money for this building. It took five signatures to touch that money. I was one of those. But I don't sign the checks. That way, if there's ever a scandal, Jerry goes to jail, and I'm, I'm, I'm free. So I don't, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't do that. I don't want to know who gives what. If somebody comes here who gives $10,000 every week and somebody else comes here who gives $10 a week, I don't want to know that. My responsibility is in regards to you because of your cost, not because of your contribution. All of you cost the blood of God's Son. You are all the most expensive things in the universe. You are the bride of Christ. And I never want to treat somebody who gives 10,000 bucks a week more differently than I treat somebody who gives 10 bucks a week. I relate to you relative to your cost, not your contribution. And I am too carnal. If they said to me, this guy gives 10,000 bucks a week, if I saw him, I might say, hey, how you doing? Is the building cool enough? The air conditioner turned up? You know, so, is your seat comfortable? You know, I'm just too carnal to know. I, so I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not in that loop. You know, the, the men we have here, look, from the teachers in the school to the administration there, to the young pastors, the people who work here in maintenance, none of them are here for the money because they could all be making more money somewhere else doing the same things they're doing here. They are not here for the money. 
And I trust them, and we watch that, and there's a good group here. We, there's a financial account, accountable, accountability board that is outside of the pastors that oversee the finances and direct us, and they're, they're people that know how to handle finances. So we try to do everything above board because this is an area where the IRS can walk in. Where, you know, The things that need to be loose, we want to do loose. Obviously, look at the way I'm dressed. Look at the way you're less dressed. Don't laugh. You know, there, there are things we want to be loose about. We want the worship to be simple. But there are things we are very stringent about. We are very much, you know, to the dot, crossing the T and dotting the I, because those are the things the government's involved in. It's a stewardship over resources. Paul says here to these folks, look, this is all now down. We have a good team here. Chosen by, I didn't make the decision. The church has chosen. These are the people that will be accompanying this gift to Jerusalem, to the poor saints. Verse 22, he ends up by saying, I endorse them and I endorse Titus. And we have sent with them our brother, he's speaking of Titus, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any of you inquire of Titus, he is my partner and my fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren, brethren, the other team that's coming with them, if they're inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. He said, when this team gets there, I don't want them sleeping in sleeping bags outside. I don't want them, you know, with a sign on the side of the road, I work for food. You know, when they get there, feed them, care for them, take care of them as they pass through the area of Corinth on their way to Jerusalem with this gift. Here's our letter of endorsement, not only for Titus, but for this team that the other churches have put together as they travel with the gift. Now, from chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, what Paul is going to say to these Corinthians is, I want you to have the offering that we talked about ready when this team arrives. In 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. At the end of the book in chapter 16, a year earlier, he had wrote, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there may be no gatherings when I come. I don't want to come there and try to cajole you for money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your gift unto Jerusalem. So now he says this in chapter 9, he says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you. Superfluous means unnecessary. I don't have to write to you concerning this offering, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I have boasted of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, Corinth was in the area of Achaia, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very, very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we, I say, not you, should be ashamed in this same cause. I don't want them to get there and you guys haven't done anything, haven't been ready, because we've been boasting about you to the other churches. So I sent the team ahead because I want to make sure when we... when they get there, I'm saying this letter, you guys have already collected what's necessary to add to this gift that goes to 
Jerusalem. Now, Paul is in Macedonia at Troas or Philippi or Thessalonica. He's coming to Corinth. He will get there by winter. We know that. And he will spend the winter in Corinth. And when he gets there to Corinth, he will write the epistle to the Romans that Phoebe in the spring will leave from Centuria and carry it to Rome. And in Romans chapter 15, he says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, that's Corinth, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints that are at Jerusalem. So he writes to the Romans and he tells them, we know from the end of Romans, that actually the offering came together. Then we find Paul, when he's before Agrippa and so forth, defending himself in, in Acts 24. He says, I came up to Jerusalem to bring an offering. So we know the offering arrived. It got there to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem was blessed by the Gentile churches. That has not changed. I was just with the church in Jerusalem all day Thursday and all day Friday with 250 church leaders in Israel, and they still appreciate the Gentile churches. They still appreciate your prayers. They still appreciate your support. They they know that there are brethren in this world that are not Jewish, but that care for them and pray for them. This administration was effective then. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The church is still alive and well in Jerusalem. It is the oldest church in the world. It is still there. They still love Jesus. They are mending their nets, praying that when the, the blindness that's happened in part to the Jews is lifted, they'll be ready to receive many. Pray for them. But this ministry was effective then. I know it because I was just with the church for the last two days over there in Israel. And, and it is effective now as we love them and as we pray for them and we realize the predicament that they're in. Paul said, I want this to be done when I get there. He says, therefore, verse 5, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you to make up beforehand your bounty, your gift, whereof you have noticed before, we've talked about it before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty. It's a gift, not as of covetousness, not that they get there and have to beg you for money. We don't want it to go down that way. Now, he's coming to the crux here of what he wants to say, what the Lord wants to say. In verse 6, he says this, but this I say, okay, we've gone through this whole process. Then we're, we're going to be good stewards. We're watching this. You had made a commitment to do this. We're sending a team. We don't want them to get there and find out you didn't do it because we were bragging about you everywhere else. So we sent guys ahead to make sure that when they get there, the gift is gathered. We don't want it to be out of co- look like it's covetousness, like we come there and beg for this. Not what this is about. And he says, here's some of the principles. This I say unto you, he which soweth sparingly shall, important word, also, shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He puts out this mandate, this proposition, this spiritual law for them. Understand this, he says, people who sow sparingly reap sparingly. If you plant one tomato plant in your backyard, you're not going to have 50 tomato plants. You're going to have one. It's just the way it goes. Here's the problem with these verses that we're going to read through now on sowing. In the church, all of this stuff about seed faith 
and promise faith. It's all born out of these verses. The prosperity gospels that are in this country that are telling you what they're doing is they appeal to your carnal nature. Paul said none of this should be about covetousness, but they appeal to the carnal nature and their doctrine is you give to get. You take this seed faith, you give this much, you're going to get this much. And they appeal to our carnality, you give to get. That's not giving, that's covetousness. And it's heresy. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't preach that gospel in most of the world, where people are starving, where there's warfare, where there's no money, where there's no health. You can't preach. Kathy and I, we were in this years ago. We came through, you know, the blab it and grab it part of the church. And we confessed, you know, that we were healthy and we were rich until we were sick and broke. And God was dealing with us. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't preach this prosperity gospel in most of the world. Because most of the world is suffering, or they're persecuted, or they're martyred, or they're impoverished. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can preach to rich people, poor people, sick people, healthy people, anybody, any in the world that's a sinner, you can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So the problem is with all this seed stuff, they've turned it into something trying to get in your pocket and into your wallet. That's what it's about. And they're teaching you this give to get doctrine. What Jesus wants us to know is we get to give, not we give to get. We get to give. You want to know why sometimes people that give greatly are blessed? It's because God resupplies generous people because they give it to the need. He makes sure it goes through the funnel where it's going to get to the need in the world. He blesses them and he restores what they give so they can give it away again. They're not sitting there covetous thinking, oh, watch this, I'll give this, I'll get ten times back. That's why I'm doing it. That's not the deal. And Paul, you know, Paul is no doubt pointing to Proverbs where it says this, There is that scattereth... And yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is fitting, and that tends towards poverty. That's something that worldly people will never understand. Paul said there are those who scatter, they give away, and yet they prosper. There are those who withhold more than is fitting. They're the hoarders, that's where the manna stinks and breeds worms. And, and they're withholding everything, and yet that's tending towards poverty. And the world will never understand that. It'll never understand it. Paul says here, look, understand this in regards to this offering, understanding, and supporting God's work. You know, those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully, the word there is literally blessings, plural. Those who sow blessings will also reap blessings. Whatever form they come in. You sow blessings in the name of God on the lives of other people, you're going to reap blessings. And Jesus says, in this world and in the world to come. Okay? He says this in verse 7. He says, every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give. He says, giving is an issue of the heart. It's a matter of the heart, not of the calculator. Giving is a matter of the heart. Look, 
you know, we have all kinds of things that come through here, again, from the tidal waves in, in Indonesia and in Japan, 911. We'll always come and put a need before you. We don't, we'll never cajole you. Whatever, but, but you'll know if it's a matter of the heart. You say, you know what? I, I'm gonna, he's going to say here that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let's look at it, you know. But anyhow, if it's a matter of the heart, you know what, we, we need, honey, we need to do this. Or, or, you know what, it's on my heart, I'm going to give to this. Or, you know, that's the way it should happen. He says, as every man, according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, not of necessity. The reason, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And what, the, what sometimes the church tries to say is, well, it, it means hilarious. It's hilaron in the Greek. God loves a hilarious giver. <laughs> let me put 20 bucks in. No, let me put a $100 bid. Oh, let me put our whole income tax check in. Oh, it doesn't say God loves a delirious giver. <laughs> the, 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 that's ridiculous. It's simply that he loves a cheerful. That's the word. He loves someone that thinks, you know what, we get to give to this. God has blessed us so much, honey. You know, I think we need to, let's pray about it this week. Maybe next week we need to put a check in for this or for that. That God loves that kind of giving. I get to give. I get to give. He loves a cheerful giver. And then this is what he says. He says, there's... In verse 8, there's all these superlatives. And what he's going to say is this. You're never, God is never going to be your debtor. You're going to give money, and then when you get to heaven, God's going to say, man, I owe you one. I was going under, and you bailed me out. That's never going to happen. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your peanuts. He, you know, he needs your heart. He needs your heart. Look at what it says in verse 8. Listen to the superlatives. All, abound, always, all, all, abound, every. He says, God is able to make all grace abound. Now, by the way, you get, God graces you not because anything you do or it wouldn't be grace. That would be payback. And one thing I don't want from God is payback. Not the way I lived. I want grace. He's able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency, what you need in all things, that you may abound to every good work. God gives, he blesses, he wants you to be able to participate in every good work. You're never going to suffer, you're never going to owe him because you gave It says here in verse 9, as it is written, now he's talking about this, he that dispersed abroad from Psalm 112, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. The one who gives to the less fortunate gives to meet in need. The one who gives away, it says, the psalmist says, his righteousness remaineth forever. Jesus said this, he said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be given to you in one place, he says, in this world and in the world to come. He says here in chapter 14 of Luke, he says, When you make a feast, call the poor and the maimed and the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. I'm not going to be your debtor. Give, you know. And there's a kind of giving when you do it, and you know the ones you're giving to, they can't pay, pay you back. 
That's real giving. That's what he did on the cross. We can never pay him back for what he did. And he said in chapter 8, verse 9, You know that he was wealthy, and yet he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. Christ emptied himself of all his divine prerogatives and of his place, and he came down and became impoverished. He bore our sin. He was beaten beyond human recognition. He became poor in every way. We can imagine that you and I might be wealthy... And he says here, so because his heart is like that, you're never going to give to the less fortunate. And then God's going to be your debtor. He will repay that, it says here. His righteousness will remain forever, the person who does that. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food, and multiplies your seed that's been sown, God blesses, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So this is sown, he says. This kind of giving, it's not hoarded. It's sown. Understand that you're sowing something. And because God is fit and righteous and equitable and gracious, more than equitable, that there will be the the reaping. In this world and the world to come, God is going to bless those who give in his name He says, and here in verses 11 and 12, he he talks about that. He says, being enriched in everything to do all uh, bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. The reason we're equipped to do this is so thanksgiving might come to God. Verse 12, he says, this is the twofold blessing for the administration of this service. What we're doing not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. He says when we give and we're what we're supposed to be with our resources, two things happen. One is wonderfully the, the supply of the less fortunate, the need of the less fortunate is met. And our brothers and sisters around the world, sometimes we have opportunity to bless them. Who knows what days are coming to this country where someday some church that we've supported over years may be paying us back. Those, Paul here says, are seasons and they come and go. But two things, two blessings come out of it. One of it is those who genuinely have the need, their need is met. That's a blessing. Secondly, he says, God is glorified because of that. That's the bigger picture. The Lord receives glory when we do that. He receives glory when we do what he asks us to do. He gave his blood. He gave his life. Nah, he ain't putting dead bucks in. No, 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 no. He gave everything. He gave his life. He bled his life into the ground. There isn't anything. What we have is of him. It's like the manna. It falls from heaven. And it's a stewardship. It's a stewardship that we have. Verse 13 says this. While by this experiment, King James, it literally is service, where we get the word deacon from, diakonoi. While this service of this ministration, through it, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ in Jerusalem, the Jews. And then he wants to see unity between Jew and Gentile. They're glorifying God because of your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, not just in Jerusalem, that the church should do this wherever there's need. It's a good witness. It goes to God's glory. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, it's making them realize that that your brethren, now he ends by saying this, now thanks 
be to God for his, King James says, unspeakable gift. We're going to hear about Paul in chapter 12, seeing things that were unspeakable. Those are different words. Paul said it would be a shame to try to put into language what I saw. This word here is literally, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And it's the only time the word is used in the New Testament. He says, look, we want to wrap up this idea of giving, then let's thank God for his indescribable gift. What does it cost to give your only begotten son? What does it cost? What does it cost to be a father who loves his son more than any father has ever loved his son? And for the son he loves to be the purest, most spotless human frame that's ever walked this planet. And what does it cost that father then to watch his son beaten and brutalized and spit on and the whole time the father has the power to stop it and yet he restrains himself because his gift is indescribable. What does it cost the father to see his son mauled and brutalized and then for him to put the sin of the world says he bore our sin upon the tree that God the father laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does it cost the father to do that? And then what does it cost the father to rain down on his own son all of the punishment, eternal punishment, that should have come on us so that his wrath can be satisfied, so he can be both, you know, just and the justifier of the ungodly. Thanks be to God. You want to talk about giving, Paul says. Why don't we think about this as we close? The ultimate giver. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know what it's like when you first get saved and you try to tell people, try to tell relatives. I, you know, I, just, I'm, I say, praise God. I'm born, you know, what, don't say all that stuff. What are you talking about? What, I, you know, Jesus came into my, what do you mean Jesus came into your heart? You know, what, 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 you know how do you know? Uh, I don't know. I just know that I know. What do you mean you know that I know? Well, I know that I know that I know. I just know, you know, it's indescribable. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. We now have access, like the Jews, the Gentiles grafted in. We have access to God. We have hope. We have a future. Incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. We have God's grace and God's word and God's spirit. We have resources unlimited. We have the privilege to raise our head to heaven and say, Abba. I've just been in the streets of Jerusalem for a couple of days again, and you hear the little Israeli kids running behind their father going, Abba, Abba, Daddy. We have the right to raise our head to heaven and say, Abba. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul says, you know, those of Macedonia struggling their own difficulties, the reason they were able to give because they gave themselves first to the Lord, gave their whole life belonged to God. They held nothing back. And he says, and remember our Lord, you know, that, that he who was rich became poor, that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. And remember, God is never going to be your debtor. You know, we we should give our time, we should give our hearts, we should give our lives. That means we should give of our resources also. 
not because somebody's conjoling us or beating us over the head with a hammer or trying to gild us into it. Paul says we don't want it to be out of covetousness. But as a man purposes in his heart and a woman, then let them give and let them do it cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. Because that's the way he gave his indescribable gift. Because he saw the need we had. We were starving, not for food, for life. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Our need was way greater than any need that the saints in Jerusalem had. And he had to give everything. What he had to give is unimaginable to have us. And what he's saying to us, and I mean me too, what he's saying to all of us is, look, here we are. We're the church of the last days. We're working against the clock. The harvest is white. The laborers are few. Those of you who are never going to go to the mission field in China can support a missionary in China. Those of you that are never going to get, you know, to be a surgical team somewhere, you're going to be a surgical, part of that surgical team by support. Those of you who may not to go, get to do some of the things we do around here, you're going to be part of that because of your support for that. It was amazing for me to hear from people all over Israel, from you know a, 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 a couple ministering in the most northern part with a fellowship there. Pastor Joe, you know, we, we don't teach anything unless we listen to the app first. He said, we always listen to your studies before we teach. To hear a mom came to me from uh, Netanya and said, Pastor Joe, me and my boys, and I felt bad because her husband's a pastor, but she said, every night, me and my boys, we listen to you. We don't go to bed. You feed us. You take care of us. Somebody came to me from Beersheba and said, Pastor Joe, we listen to you all the time. And I'm thinking, here we are in Israel from Dan to Beersheba. They're listening to our app. That's because of you. That's because of your giving. That's because of your generosity. Who knows when we get to heaven, the tales that will be told. I was shocked. I was shocked. God's doing a good work here. He's doing a good work. I'm so glad we get to be part of it. Aren't you? I mean, I'm so glad I'm not sitting somewhere in a church. Somebody beat me over the head. You know, somebody yelling at me about money. You know, I'm I'm so glad that I don't have to wear a tie to come here. I probably probably would attend less, you know. Uh, I'm so glad there's not somebody with a beehive hairdo and an organ. You know, we have somebody with no hair and a guitar. That's so much better. you know, I'm just, you know, God's doing a, God's doing a, a great thing here. I'm so thankful I, I get to be part of it. And that's all I am. I'm only a part of it. But heaven will tell the story of, of the lives that have been touched and the needs that have been met and the, the joy that we have shared and, and blessed others with. I encourage you, keep up the good work. I encourage you, read these chapters on your own. You're never going to get begged here. But I'm going to trust you to be givers. I'm going to trust you to pray. I'm going to trust you to understand that all that you have has fallen into your life from heaven, and you're a steward over that. Those are his resources. I'm going to trust you to do that because I know you guys. Let's stand. Let's pray. Told you. (laughs) I'm so glad. Everywhere I go, and you know, wherever I'm at, I'm listening to worship. I'm always thinking, man, I'm so spoiled. You know, I'm so used to to Rob and the guys here.
Father, we thank you for the, the privilege to come and even talk about something difficult and, and even touchy in the church like this. Great sensitive, Lord, activities uh, about this. And, and Lord, we, w- we want to be able to talk honestly and, and, Lord, bring our hearts before you and ask that we would ever learn, that you would ever teach us, Lord. You would continue to show us, Lord. And that our whole lives would belong to you, Lord. And honestly, Lord, sometimes it's easier to put 20 bucks in an offering plate than to turn something off on the TV we shouldn't be watching. Or to be kind to our spouse or gracious to our children. Lord, have all of us, our mouths, our eyes, our attitudes, our wallets. Lord, have all of us. And Lord, in these last days, we want to stand for you, Lord Jesus. Without apology, without being ashamed. Lord Jesus, we are not ashamed of your gospel, Lord. And we don't care of the the world around us, whatever standards they set, Lord. There is one standard for us, and that is your word, Lord. There is one hope that we have. That is your coming. What a blessed hope it is, Lord. And make us wise, Lord, with your resources. Let us be good stewards, Lord. Let us invest the way you lead us by your spirit, Lord. And let us see the fruit of all of that in eternity, standing around your throne, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.